Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, amigos. Hola, my good friends. Cinco de mayo on Tuesday and I'd hope we'd see each other again yeah buddy yeah buddy in the words of Ronnie Coleman yeah buddy it is another Mikey Likes You podcast thank you so much to Ween for in no way giving me permission to do that cover version of Buenos Tardes for two weeks in a row you get Buenos Tardes as an intro song. Um, Big podcast today, honestly. Um, Documentary filmmaker, uh, a friend of mine, a very smart dude. His name is Chris Bell. He probably was most well-known for his documentary, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Yes, Bigger, Stronger, Faster from 2008. But he's also made other amazing films, Trophy Kids, about, you know, those those stage parents in the worlds of uh, youth sports. Prescription Thugs about the pharmaceutical company and and uh, America's serious problem with opioids. Um, and then Leaf of Faith, which he made a couple years ago about Kratom. He really shook up the world with that. Um, not only the world of health and fitness, but the world of mental health, the world of pharmaceuticals, um, the world of medicine. Um, so check that out. He's got a new documentary, which is available for you for free on YouTube called Iba Gains, G-A-I-N-Z at the end. Um, because he's seen a lot of personal gains from the drug Ibogaine, which is very exotic and very not much is known about it, really. But uh, Chris is is the right kind of guy when it comes to giving advice about getting your life together. That's why even though I am fully in recovery and don't touch any mood-altering substance, I have no problem having him talk about it because he's been down that road with addiction. In fact, he was uh, had to come to grips with the fact that he was seriously addicted to prescription drugs as to, on top of being a, a desperate alcoholic during the filming of his movie, um, Prescription Thugs. So very interesting case. Um, and we talk about a lot of stuff, not only his love affair with the carnivore diet, but also his love affair with bodybuilding and, and powerlifting and how that's aided him in turning his life around. And he's one of those guys who's actually taken the look in the mirror and realized that he's not the man he wants to be and how cripplingly just, just how devastating that can be, um, and how, and and from that point, how he turned himself around. I really like Chris as a person. I really like him as a filmmaker, and I really like him as a voice of someone. You know, I, I like him as a as a as a voice that should be heard, um, because he's a kind-hearted person, a loving person that knows what it's like to turn his life around. Um, so I, I really recommend this, and I recommend anything Chris Bell and his brother Mark Bell. Anything they have to do with, I, I, I give it my thumbs up. But first, I have to talk to you about something serious, okay, something really important. And what is that, you say? Well, it's, it's your pubes. And you may be saying, Mike, come on, that's crude. But I'm being serious. Whether you're gay or straight or trans or cis or man or woman, it doesn't matter. That pubic region, serious business. You, you screw that up, you can screw up everything. And we see the light at the end of the tunnel, okay, when it comes to this COVID lockdown ending. So someone's going to be seeing your chucha, your panoch, or your balzinis. Someone's going to be seeing them very soon. 
Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for grooming said area. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0, which includes the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, performance briefs, the Crop Preserver body deodorant, and the Crop Reviver spray toner. All you need to do to get your hands on the Perfect Package 3.0 and get 20% off and free shipping, use the code MikeLikes at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the code MikeLikes. And as always, your Balzinis and your first date will thank you. So without further ado, let me try that one more time. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Bell. I'm joined by a man who I have known personally and professionally for a very long time. I like him very much. He is an excellent, excellent, and oftentimes I think really, really underrated filmmaker. He, uh, a documentary filmmaker who probably most known to people for uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster. I always get it wrong. Bigger, Bigger, yeah. No, big, you're stronger, right. Bigger, stronger, faster. There you go. Um, which came out uh, a little over a decade ago, I would say. 2008, it uh, debuted at Sundance Film Festival, which is like one of my uh, biggest accomplishments, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really cool. And then after that, I did a, a film called Trophy Kids with Peter Berg, who he executive produced Trophy Kids, which was about abuse of sports parents. That was on HBO. And then after that, um, we hit Tribeca Film Festival with Prescription Thugs, which is about opioid addiction, which uh, and addiction in general and drugs in general, which you know a lot about. And um, then my la- my most recent film, which was interesting, was called A Leaf of Faith, which is also controversial because it's a way to get off of opioids, but also in the minds of a lot of people, you know, who are in the sobriety community. They don't really like it. So it's that was kind of a conflict as well. But you're a pretty open-minded guy. And I, I love talking about this stuff because you kind of get it, you know, you and um, I'd, I'd love to discuss some of this stuff with you because you just have a different way of th- looking at it than a lot of people do. I do. Well, I, I do. Uh, I mean, I have a, lot, I, a very different way of looking at it. Um, in comparison to a lot of people in the 12 step community. That's for sure. That's what, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Sort of. Uh, and, and I love that community. So, but yeah, let's discuss it, man. Let's dive in. I'm of course talking to my man, Chris Bell. Um, you, so you, are you spending most of your time up, uh, up North with your brother now? Yeah. So I've been in the Davis. So I live in Davis, which is like sort of the nice section of Sacramento, you know, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's a little outside of Sacramento. Uh, you see, it is nice is too. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's just a really, really nice. Thing. I love Davis because it's a, a a really, in my opinion, like a really pleasing blend of rural and actual city. You know, like there's there's you can get out into the real rural lifestyle, and then yet you have like a you know structured, civilized kind of big city too that you you have access. Yeah, to. my you know my brother Mark, um, he lives about twenty minutes away from me. And just 20 minutes away, he's completely out in the middle of nowhere. And he yeah. loves it. You know, that's what he sort of got to a point where, uh, you know, and that's the reason why I moved up here was I was missing an element of my life and I couldn't figure out what that element was. And it was literally the serotonin of like not being around my family for over 20 years, mm. living in Los Angeles, being by myself. Like I didn't have a girlfriend at the time and I was just getting so sort of like depressed and just, uh, I just, I didn't feel right in the head anymore after a while of, um, 
you know, of being in LA, like I had gotten, so basically I'll, I'll tell my story like really quick. Um, you know, I did bigger, stronger, faster in 2008 when Sundance film festival came around, I was just recovering from a double hip replacement surgery. So at 35 years old, because of genetic arthritis and a lot of other complications that I had, I had to have a double hip replacement surgery at 35 years old. That left me on opioids for like two years because my hip never healed. Well, it never healed because they messed up the surgery. And two years later, they had to do it over again. So now we're talking four years of opioids, which turned into like six years of right. opioids and, and like, you know, another year of Suboxone trying to get off of all that. And the thing is that like, I actually did a great job the first time I used Suboxone. I was able to taper off of opioids and then just like stay off of them. But then when I had the next surgery, I just got addicted so fast again. And I just went like completely downhill and got wrapped up in that addiction. I also became an alcoholic because that seems to come with the territory when you get addicted uh, to opioids. And I just like felt like I had no way out. And um, at that point, I ended up going to rehab and I went to Cliffside Malibu uh, just by circumstance and like being doing all these movies and the things that I do. I interviewed the guy who was the CEO of Cliffside Malibu. And then a couple months later, I ended up there and with him taking care of me. Right. And when I went to rehab, I had this really interesting like epiphany. I'm like, man, I'm really in trouble. Like this is big. Like, you know, personally, like I'm in trouble. Like I always grew up in a family that was very loving and very caring. And I lost my older brother to drugs. So I was like, how am I going to tell my parents that I have a drug problem? There's no right. way I can tell. So it just went, you know, we just never talked about it. And it just, you know, and I was always pretty mellow guy. I'm not somebody that did drugs and would go out and go crazy. I do drugs at my house because I was depressed and sad and I was in a ton, ton of pain for a really long time. And so after I got out of um, rehab, I was going to AA all the time. I would go to um, this great meeting in uh, Malibu, like every Saturday, you know, that they have. And I loved it. And I, I just really, really enjoyed it. And then my pain got to be so bad that I stumbled upon using Kratom, right? And mm -hmm. Kratom, as you know, is a, it's a plant. Uh, it's, a, it's a mild opioid. It is an opioid. Uh, it's basically a dietary supplement, but it's also a drug because anything you take, you know, for a specific reason is considered a drug. So I don't get too held up in the semantics of it. I just know like, hey, this is something that really helped me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any sort of problems with it when I took it. Like I didn't have the same actions or reactions as I did uh, with opioids and it just really helped the pain. And I got a phone call from somebody in AA and I was supposed to speak that night and I was all excited because I love telling my story, you know? And I was all pumped up. Okay, cool, I'm gonna go to this meeting, I'm gonna speak and it was at my old rehab, it was at Cliffside. And they said, well, yeah, we found out that you've been taking Kratom and I don't even know where they found out. I wasn't talking about online or anything. Else. And they're like, we can't have you speak here. And to me, I was just floored. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know what Kratom is? Like, it's literally like just a plant and you take it. So that I'm taking it. So I'm not in pain. I'm not really taking it to get high or any weird thing like that. And I, I wasn't taking that much of it. It was just the one thing that allowed me to get back in the gym and train again. And, and, and I do now that I've been away from it for kind of a long time. I can see where, where Pete, where the messages get mixed up and where things get mixed up because in the world of Kratom itself, there is a lot of abuse within that little sector. Right. And the thing is that Kratom has like, it's like, look, if, if there's like this much of the active ingredient, there's like, like a little tiny smidgen of it that, that can be addictive, just a little tiny. So there's two alkaloids in there. There's metragenine and there's seven hydroxymetragenine. 7-hydroxymetragenine is, is addictive, 
but there's so little of it in the plant. It comes from the drying process when they dry the plant. And because the FDA is so screwed up, we're not allowed to take the part that's not addictive. Like we could literally have a completely non-addictive opioid. No question about it. Mitragynine would work as an opioid with zero addiction issues. But you're not allowed to take the 7-hydroxy out of it because now it's a drug, right? And that, so it's like these laws and these supplement things that we have, they're not really safeguarding people right. like they're supposed to. No, it's a, it's a very screwed up world. Uh, the world of chemicals, period. Um, we have a very strange relationship with them in America, particularly. Um, and I, that doesn't just mean addicts. It doesn't mean yeah. drug. We like we have a very weird idea of like chemical A is bad. Chemical B is good. And, and we we classify them in such a strange way. Um, you know, Kratom, I think, is a perfect example. It's like. I, I actually totally, totally understand how um, 12-step based programs have a very strict and very, very regimented idea of what is okay and what isn't because I, I, I fully support you and believe you that, you know, it wasn't something that you were abusing and getting high with. But at but, the same yeah. time, if you start making exceptions for Kratom, then it's like, well, weed's just a plant. Why can't I have weed? Yeah. And then it's like, where are we going? Yeah. You know, you have to have a very – but – the world is in a 12-step program. The most humans, yeah. it, it just seems strange to me that, you know, like caffeine, very addictive, very, very addictive. A drug. It is a drug, just like yeah. just like cocaine or anything. But we are like, oh, that's a good drug. That, that one's okay. That one's fine. But yeah. this other drug is not, you know? And, and that is crazy. You know, when, when, I, when I did my movie about Kratom, the, the only person I was really concerned about was the person that really helped me. Mm-hmm. And that was a guy named Richard Tate. And Richard Tate was the CEO of Cliffside Malibu. So I'm like, if I'm going to make this movie, I'm going to go to Cliffside Malibu and I'm going to talk to Richard Tate. And then I say, what do you think of Kratom? Not, not what does everybody else think? What do you think of it? You're the guy that helped me. And what he said to me was really, really important. He said, look, I've read as much as I can about this. And I, and I had my assistant in my office and she, when I couldn't read anymore, she read to me. And when her eyes were about to bleed from reading so much, he's like, we called it a day. And he's like, listen, I've never seen you look so calm. I've never seen you look so good and so healthy. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, what you need to guard yourself against is the things that were killing you. And he's like, this seems to be in some weird gray area. He's like, I don't condone it, but I don't condemn it either. He's like, you need to do what's right for you. And that just really made me think, right? Like what is right for Chris, you know? And what was right for me was to be out of pain. Now, I agree, and I'm in 100% uh, agreement with you, that there's other stuff that I have used for pain. I've used marijuana since I've, you know, I don't, I don't call myself sober because of the respect I have for the people like you right. that are going all the way. And, and it's like, you're like, dude, you're sober? Like, you're not really. Like, if, you're, if you've smoked weed and you've done this and done that, you know, and, and I was literally doing it to try to get out of pain. But even like that, I would say, well, yeah, like weed is like, I mean, you know, we, we pretty much know that's a pretty powerful plant that can, that can help. So like, it's not that it's going to kill you in the same way that crystal meth will and these other drugs will. But the problem with weed is that we as addicts, we right. overdo everything. So then when you overdo weed, what do you get? Nine, nine out of 10 times you get, you know, some laziness and you get some things that don't get tied up. And that's the reason we were screwed up in the first place. You know, we were discombobulated. We weren't, we weren't paying attention to life. And I think that weed can lead you down that path also. So like, I don't necessarily condemn it, but like at the same time, I don't think it's like the best 
thing to necessarily use for, for pain relief. There's other, right. like, like I said, like Kratom had way less of a, um, of a effect on my mind than, than we would ever have, you know? So to me it was okay. And like, yeah, I, was I justifying it? Yeah. Most likely I was justifying it, but what do you get when you have something that kills pain? Right. And it's, it's obviously a drug, but you only have to take it once. Then what world do you get into? So I did this drug called Ibogaine and it's a psychedelic. I made a movie, a little short film. It's on YouTube. It's called Ibogaines because I gained a lot from doing it. Um, and so I heard that this drug called Ibogaine, which is used for addiction. So literally you can take the worst addicted person in the world, give them Ibogaine. And then the next day for the most part, like 90%, don't want drugs anymore for quite a while. Now, particularly with particularly is, with opiate-based stuff. I mean, I've seen a lot yes. of really great um, results. Just anecdotal stuff. I've, I've seen a lot of people who just say that, it, you know, it saved their life. And it, typically it's, you know, heroin and, and pill addicts. Um, it, and there's a lot of real, about it chemically. actually a lot of, of um, there's actually a lot of real things. Joe Rogan speaking on this the other day, and I thought it was really interesting because they said that, it worked for 90% of the people, mm-hmm. but there's also a 90% relapse rate when those people w- would go back to the environment that they came from. So right. if you go right back into hang out with your meth friends, then you'll probably go right back down that path again. Which is, then- which is uh, very similar to uh, with a lot of like problems I see with more traditional routes, like with 12 step, I see everyone yeah, always talks no about the, the relapse rate and I go, yeah, well that's, that's the way it is. But I've very rarely seen someone fully commit themselves to doing the 12 step programs that, yeah. that realize, you know, you could, you got to take into consideration that a huge percentage of the people that go to uh, say a, re- a recovery center for 28 days or, or get into the program. Very, very few people are really committing to doing it. Very, very yeah. few people do the steps. Very, very few people go to as many meetings as they need to. And, and, yeah. and so I mean- I myself struggled with AA. I couldn't, I couldn't lock on to anyone to like really sponsor me or anything. Like mm-hmm. I kept asking people to sponsor me, but honestly, like I'm, you know, me, like I, t- I love to talk to people and we like you and I, we became buddies. Like a lot of people, I've become so close to them. They're like, ah, oh, bro, I don't want to be your sponsor. Like we're friends, you know? Right. Like, I, and so like, I never got a sponsor because everybody I asked was like too much of my friend. And like, mm-hmm. I asked like four or five people and then I kind of gave up on it. But I really think, that if you do AA properly and you go through the steps properly, there is so much value uh, to it. And like, I've taken a lot from it. I think like a lot of people I've helped point towards sobriety just through my movies and saying, Hey, look, just start by reading the big, the big book, Mm -hmm. read the AA big book. If you read that back in 1933, they were writing about all the things that you did to hide your drugs and hide your alcohol. And like, they were writing about all this stuff way back then. And, you know, we think we're special because we did this or we did that and we had this right. crazy story, right? And, like, nobody really has a crazy story. It's like nobody's special. It's like people have been doing drugs for a really long time. Really long made time. made a lot of mistakes. And they've written about them and, and we can learn from that. And to me, that was, like, sort of the awesome part of, of the program was, like, that part of it. And that's, sort of, like, I've taken away a, a lot from AA that I still, I still use to this day, you know, like – I use, um, I, I help a lot of people with diet and nutrition just because we're around it so much. And one of the things I use really is almost like a 12 step style program to get people to eat better. You know, it's like, Hey, admit that you admit that you eat like shit, you know, that's step number one. 
What's step number two? You need to believe that the diet you're doing is going to deliver you from this problem. So whether I put you on carnivore or keto, or I give you a vertical diet, whatever, you need to believe in that so much, pin that on your wall, and that's your, that's your sort of higher power right. for now, you know, as we go through this process. And I think a lot of it really helps just peel back some layers and just sort of like heal things like in a, in a manner, like I just have a better relationship with food now because of my journey through sobriety, you know, but just, um, to sort of flash forward into what I was talking about, like Ibogaine. So I'm going to, I'm going to go turn off my air conditioner, which is, I think, no no problem. No problem. There we go. And then also before you get into the, uh, the Ibogaine stuff, which I definitely want to talk about, I think you said something really important. I want to circle back and, and highlight it is that, you got to the point where you really identified what worked for Chris. Like this is yeah. my thing. And, and people always, they, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I, I feel blessed for it and I'm, I'm really grateful, but people will DM me and email me and write me a lot about, Hey, I got a real problem with drinking. I got a real problem with, with yeah. Coke or whatever. I, I, uh, can you help me? Can you get, and I always say, look, I will tell you what worked for me. I'm not telling you how to do this. I'm not in any way saying that this is the only way to do this. I'm going to give you my experience so that hopefully you can gain something out of it. And, you know, there's been plenty of people. I have personal friends that like had a, a serious heroin product uh, problem and they smoke weed. They smoke weed or they, or they have a beer every once in a while and good for them. My hat's off to them. I know me, what works for me that I can't yeah. do that. I've, yeah, gave, yeah. I've gone down that road. I've taken a bong rip thinking like, hey, it's just this weed i don't i never really was a big weed smoker and and yeah. two weeks later i'm in an alley buying crack you know like i know for me oh wow you went down you went all the way huh oh yeah yeah no i'm 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 just that guy and you know i have personal i have friends that are in the same boat as me like like steve-o has been pretty open about it too it's like i know that like my weed bone leads to my booze bone which leads you, to my you coke my, bone you know my highlight of cliffside malibu was uh steve-o cut through our yard and to, to get down to the beach, because we were in on Malibu Beach. And we're like, Where's you're Steve O? And he was like so cool. He's like, What's up, dudes? You know, and he was cool to us. But like that that was my highlight highlight of rehab was being able to meet him. I think he like lived across the street or something over there. Only in LA, right? Where yeah, you're in, yeah, re, in rehab in and like Steve O through. Yeah, and we had a we I wouldn't I won't name his name because he was in rehab with me, but we had a an NFL football player in there mm-hmm. with us too. It's just crazy. It's like that's and I had like a guy who owned a hot, like a major hockey team. Like there was some really, really interesting people that I met through the, um, through the process. And some that's, of my, that's best another thing I, met through the process. I think that there's, there is latent benefit to the disease of addiction. And one of them is, is that I can't, in all my experience and all my trying, I, I can't find anything else in the world that is so unbelievably successful at leveling the playing field where yeah, I'll go to, I'll go to people. meetings and I'll be sitting next to an out of work mechanic uh, who lost the custody of his kids. And on the other side is a CEO worth, you know, billions of dollars, yeah, literally. And, 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 and a list celebrity in the front and um, a homeless person behind me. And, and it's every, you know, like it really just absolutely levels the human playing field. And I, and I, yeah. I think that is one of the kind of beautiful aspects of it. And it's very similar to our other place that we love the most, the gym, the gym, like, yeah. the gym is kind of the same way. Like you go into gold's gym in Venice 
And you see, um, one, one of my friends was one of the guys that started MTV and he's now like a billionaire, right? So he, he's like a media mogul. He's over here on this treadmill. And right next to him is a guy that lives in his van in the back of Golds. And showers, showers only at the gym, yeah. Yeah, so when we have these like common interests that we're really passionate about, and obviously addiction is going to be one of them because we were so passionate about the drugs that we did that on the flip side, we're going to be passionate about getting over it and fixing mm-hmm. the problem and how good life is now. You know, it's like when you go to these uh, meetings or, you know, it's like, I know a lot of people go like, oh, I go to meetings and it's all negative and blah, blah. And I just didn't have that experience. I had a, a lot of really good, ex- like hearing a lot of good stories about people like reuniting with their kids and reuniting with their families and, you know, all these kind of things. And of course you get the crazy stories here and there, but for the most part, I like, I met some of the funniest and, and greatest people, you know, going through that, um, going through that program, you know? And, um, and what I, what I wanted to, to get into talking to you about, because I think that um, I went through AA, I went through rehab. Uh, I struggled through trying to get sober myself like 20 times. And then um, because of pain, not because of addiction, but because of pain, I decided to try this drug called Ibogaine because I heard it can reset your, your neurotransmitters, right? And where did, you, where did you even, I hate to rub it, where did you even come across it? Because unlike like Kratom or something, which, you know, you can go buy it like some supplement stores and stuff like that. Ibogaine still to me even seems very exotic. You know, it seems like something yeah, that you really have to it's, go out of your way to, to get your hands on. It's really, it's really hard to get. And right now it's almost impossible to get. We're trying to help some, treat some people and it's hard, it's hard to actually get it from Africa right now. So it comes from Gabon or Cameroon, Africa. Mm-hmm. And it's a, um, it's literally a ritual that the Bawiti tribe does every, so the pygmies, the smallest people on the planet, they take this drug every year, once a year. It's literally just a tree bark, you know, and there's right. nothing else added to it. There's nothing else going on with it. Now they do standardize it right? There is a HCL version of it that standardizes it so that we can administer it to people for these purposes. Um, but the best way to actually administer it is you give them a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the one that is pure, that is, uh, you know, standardized and a little bit of the one that's not standardized. So you give them a little bit of the pure alkaloid and you give them a little, a total alkaloid is called TA and you give them a little bit of the, um, of the standardized version. And what Ibogaine does, it's so fascinating. And I learned this when I was actually making A Leaf of Faith. I interviewed the foremost Ibogaine expert in the country. Her name's Dr. Deborah Mash down at University of Miami. And when I went down there, she was literally in tears crying. And she's like, you don't understand my plight. And I'm like, this, I was thinking like, this lady's just crazy. I had no idea why she was so passionate about this, these, this particular drug. And then she brought me into a room and the room was filled with brains. She goes, see all these brains? These are all, these are all dead addicts and we've analyzed all these brains and we've like, and she's talking about like all the research and doing, she's like, all these brains, they don't need to be here. She's like, we could fix all this. And I'm like, this lady really thinks that this can fix addiction. Like they, like she must be, you know, in a different world or something. I, I had no idea what she was like really referring to. But when I tried Ibogaine, I'll tell you like the next day when I went to read, I had a 30 year chewing tobacco habit and I did Ibogaine and literally it's just, you take a pill, you get really like in a lucid dreaming state, you know, you Mm -hmm. get really, um, it's just psychedelic. It's, you get like really high. I would, I didn't see anything weird or nothing really weird happen. I just saw a lot of like weird lights and flashes and, and things like that. And you're high for a really long time. It lasts like, I think it lasted a good 48 to 72 hours. I was Mm -hmm. like under for like, you know, two to three days. 
but honestly, like for me, the whole time it was actually like pretty fun. I, I was laughing my ass off the whole time, having a great time. But the thing that I noticed first was as soon as I got done, I'm like, I can't wait to throw in a big chew, big Kodiak, you know, stick that stupid shit right in my lip. Right. And I was so excited about it. And I go, I don't want to, I don't want to dip. And I had a full 10 and I threw it right in the garbage with no, like that. Didn't even, didn't even think about it. Like just do it in the garbage. And I'm like, I don't, I just said to my guy that helped me, my guy, his name's Jim said, I don't do that anymore. And he just gave me like a high five. He's like, that's amazing. And I said, I have no, I go, honestly, I have no desire to do that. Now I know that's only one day, but now we're three months out of it and I don't dip anymore. And to me, that could be life-saving because I could have got throat cancer. I have a friend that died of mouth cancer from chewing tobacco. Not could have. Always- I, I, I struggle with chewing tobacco. I have a, a, a snooze in my lip as we speak. It's a, a tobacco-free one, but it's a battle. And you will. Like, if you yeah. continuously chew tobacco, you are going to get some form of mouth cancer. So I think, I think what you're doing, if you're doing the non-tobacco ones, I don't, those, those don't seem to cause cancer, though. So no, I mean, they're, they're, they're hugely addictive well, and I totally we, tell people we that, talk but. because we, we think nicotine is a great appetite suppressant. It works for like a lot of different things. Right. And so does Kratom as well. Like Kratom is a good appetite suppressant. So like if you're using a, you know, I, I don't know, like, look, you, you got to pick and choose your battles. You're not doing any, if nicotine's the worst thing you're doing, that's what I tell my wife, probably, you're probably okay. You know, but, but honestly, it's probably more of a battle with you mentally because you know it's addictive. Exactly. Like, no, no, I, I, I listen, totally no agree. Ever, it's, a, it's a crutch of mine and I, I reach for it to manage stress and manage my, my emotions. And that's where I get into trouble. It's probably all pure nicotine doesn't have really I, all that much science to show that it's bad for me. It's just the fact that I have no, this crutch. Not, hardly you know? any. Yeah. And, I, and I've used a couple of those like pouches, like the Zen pouches and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like since, you know, since I've done Ibogaine, like I'll just, you know, throw one in here. And I, but I, I actually don't need it anymore. I don't, like I don't crave it. I don't want it. Like right. I, I did it just to see like, do I still like nicotine? I'm like, no, nah, not really. I don't really care that much. So I'm kind of like more in, I would say I'm more just like indifferent to things now. But um, what I like is like, I, for some weird reason, I never had a problem. Uh, when I quit alcohol, it hurt me so bad. Like the alcohol itself literally like inflamed me. It made me fat. I mean, I was 260 pounds. I felt like shit every day. I was in pain every day. When I quit alcohol and when I quit opioids, I'm like, I am done. You know, I promised myself. I'm like, I would rather, it's like, it's like if I'm going to go down that path, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I, I did not want to live that life anymore. And I knew that. And I knew that about alcohol. And I, nowadays I go, why can't I just do that with sugar? You know? And so like, no matter where we're at, like you're, you're sitting there worrying about the fact that you're on nicotine. But I was, what I was going to say is like 99.99% of the world's addicted to sugar. Right. And nobody, nobody says anything about that. You know, Hey, you should stop that. Or, Hey, you know, obviously like we say that it's bad and you know, on its own, is it that bad? Not in small amounts, but in the amounts that we consume it is. And it it usually is. And like people have all sorts of uh, addictions uh, with food and, and with other things that we don't normally um, discuss, you know, but if you, if you're doing a drug, you're the bad guy, you know, but we have a lot of issues in this country that we think in our head that dopamine takes care of. And I think here's the big difference, right? We are always chasing these little dopamine hits. So we're always chasing pornography. We're chasing chewing tobacco. We're chasing girls, we're ch- whatever. Right. But what we really want is a hug from our mom. You know, that's what we really want. If you ever see somebody like, um, it's, if you're watching, um, 
like certain people who I had like faced adversity. I was watching a documentary on Chuck Liddell and he was talking about his dad and he was so angry and you could just see where, where all his drive comes from. You know, mm-hmm. you could just see like it came from, it came from like he, his father was never there for him. And then his father showed up at one of his fights and he's like, Oh, you want to show up now? And you could yeah. see that real anger, you know, you know, in him boiling, you know, in him and those, those like real emotions. And that to me is like really interesting because that's all most of us want is to be loved, to be cared for, to yeah, know, you, you, you know, we're okay. when, you were, when we first started talking, you were talking about how you were living down here without your family and you, you didn't have a, a girlfriend for a long period of time. And it got me thinking about how I, I wrote on Instagram about at the beginning of the lockdown. And I didn't mean for it to be anything like meaningful. I was just kind of thinking, about how all the damage that I'd done emotionally, psychologically, all the physical damage I'd done to myself with drugs and alcohol, all of it, all of it taken into consideration. And it was considerable and it hurt me and I still feel bad about it. It paled in comparison to loneliness and what loneliness yeah. did to me. You know, in, in, I, I was 10 years sober, maybe even more. And when I got divorced from my first wife and I was working you know, 75, 80, 90 hours a week, I had no personal interaction with anyone, no friends, no yeah. girls, no, no family. And, and I was so depressed and so hurt. So, like I would ache, physically ache from the feeling. You know exactly I how I feel. This is really interesting. And my brother laughs his ass off about this. Mm-hmm. So I moved up here and I was expecting, like, I was going to do all these things with Mark Right. And then some things that we were working on kind of fell through. You know how things go. Like they don't always go exactly how you plan. Sure. And so like basically Mark got really busy with his business. You know, he owns Slingshot and he's out doing all his stuff and making videos and doing all these things. And I'm kind of like left now up here at home. I don't have that many friends here besides the guys that we, we lift with and train with. Like I didn't really go out of my way to make friends because my family lives up here, you know? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I went out of my way to try to make friends. My mom is always kind of sick, right? So she, she doesn't like to have visitors a whole lot. So I don't see them a whole lot, but I, I do see them. Like I see my dad, like at least once a week, I see my mom probably like once a month. Right. So it wasn't like I like had anybody in my corner or anybody like rooting for me. And I was like, so alone. And then I did Ibogaine. And after I did Ibogaine, all I want, like I was, I felt so good and I was okay with that. Like before I was okay with the isolation. I actually probably brought a lot of it on. Like when people would text me, I might not text them back. Right. And that was a, just an easy way to get rid of somebody. Like if you don't text somebody back, they're like, screw that guy. I'm not, I'm not texting them again, you know? Or they think like, oh, he must be real busy or whatever. And it was just an easy way for me. But I know because I'm an addict, right? So we have those behaviors. I know like that's, how you, that's an easy way to, to like somebody won't bother you. You know, you right. just don't get back to it. won't bother you anymore. And then after I did eyeball game, like first of all, I feel like shit for doing that to people, you know, because that's not the way you should act. And secondly... Um, after I did Ibogaine, I just wanted to be around people. Like now it, it, it's been three months since I did Ibogaine. And as soon as I did Ibogaine, literally the next day, the entire country shut down. So I did Ibogaine on, I finished my treatment on March 18th. That's mad. My older brother, mad dog that passed away. That was his birthday. So it was significant for that reason. But that was the day the entire country shut down everything. And right when I was like, okay, cool. I can go out again. I couldn't go anywhere for like, you know, eight weeks. And my brother, Mark said to me, this is a blessing in disguise because you need to know if this works. If you were able to go out and about and train and do all these things that you normally do, 
like three months from now, like who knows where you'd be, but now you have an opportunity to heal. You have an opportunity to stay home. And I just took Mark's advice. He's like, you could just walk five miles every day. You don't need to lift weights. He's like, just walk, get, you know? And, and so that's what I did. I just took it easy. I walked, I, you know, I just did all these things during the quarantine and kept myself busy and I wasn't depressed anymore. And like, that was what was really interesting. So like Ibogaine not only took away my chewing tobacco, it took away my depression, but the main thing that it did really did was I was dealing with 30 years of chronic pain and the chronic pain was what was really driving the depression because I'm like you, I love to train. I love to work out. But when somebody chops your legs out from under you and says, well, you can't do that anymore because you can barely walk, then like life sucks. You know, like yep. if I took working out away from you, that might send you down a really bad path. And that's Absolutely. what happened to me. Like, it literally got taken away from me where I wasn't physically able to train anymore. Everything really hurt. And then um, what, what I started, the, the way that I first started like rebelling against that was with Kratom and then with a carnivore diet. And the carnivore diet kept inflammation so low uh, all the time that I felt pretty good all the time. But as I started getting stronger and the weight started getting heavier, it was just too much on my body and I was being stupid and I wasn't listening to my body. And I would grind myself down to the point where I could barely you know, walk or move. And then I'd, I'd, be, I'd be depressed because of that. Right. But it was kind of my own doing. But, you know, we're maniacs. We loved, you know, it's like if you can, people go, well, why do you have to deadlift like 550 or 600 pounds? Or why do you have to do that? Because I can. Because you know I can. I mean? So, like, exactly. yeah, but I like, I like that shit. So, they, like, Joe Rogan was interviewing Ronnie Coleman the other day. And Ronnie Coleman is still mad about the time he squatted 800 for two reps because he thought he could get three or four. And he's still mad about it to this day. And he can barely walk, you know? Yeah. And so Rogan's like, why would you be mad about that? He's like, I don't know, man. That's just what it, that's what a champion does. You know? It's true. There's and a, there's a, there's a certain buzz and people find something that really gets them going. And you, you're definitely willing to, and I actually think a, a certain piece of it, a little bit of this is actually healthy where you're willing to toss the dice for that, for that glory. You know, I, yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, and, it, and it's not just physical pursuits. I mean, you know, writers and, and, you know, and musicians and artists of all types, they, they throw their own, they throw caution to the wind for the sake of what they love. And, and I think that there's there, you know, a little bit of that is healthy. Obviously, you know, it gets to the point yeah. where it can be and too I, much, but I honestly think that like, see, I understand where people might think that like, okay, I get it. This guy, he's still a drug guy. And I'm like, well, no, now I'm not because like now I don't need, I don't feel like I need anything. You know what I mean? Like I honestly, so the way I look at Ibogaine is like, okay, you and I both know there are a lot of people that are in rehab that they're really tough cases, like mm -hmm. really, really tough cases. And I would say like in those extreme circumstances, somebody has been like, I can understand them saying, okay, like let's keep this stuff illegal. But now they're having all these compassion rules with like medicines and stuff. And I think like within that rule, it's like, hey, if you've been to rehab like five, six times, and it hasn't worked, like you should be able to try something like iBoogie. Like it should be legal. It should be available to you because what it does is so powerful. Now, the most important thing that people need to understand about ibogaine for addiction, the absolute single most important factor is like, what do you do after you do the ibogaine? The ibogaine will literally shake your brain. Like I felt like my brain was like shaking like this in my head. Like, and, and I felt like there goes the addiction. There goes the tobacco addiction. There goes the porn addiction. There goes, you know, whatever the sugar addiction, you know, even, even like with my eating and stuff, it's helped me to really um, just be 
stoic. If like that's probably the best word for what ibogaine does to you. It like literally makes you stoic. Like I don't give a shit about anything. I don't need anything. I don't need anyone. I don't, I'm good. You know, I can do this myself. And that's the way you feel. And it really empowers you in a way to where like, you just feel like, like, Hey, I can, I can do whatever I need to do to keep myself healthy. It also like in my mind made me uh, detach from a lot of these earthly things and realize like, wow, this plant, this is natural. This is like, this comes from nature, from God, whatever you believe in. And then all these things I'm pursuing are just bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, why do I want that car? Why do I want that house? Why do I want the thing? It's like, now I'm like, you know what? I don't really need anything. I just need me and some love, you know, and I can make anything happen. And that's the way I feel now. Like it just made me so happy. It's a great, great point. And I'm really glad you said that because like, I, I noticed it for the first time in my life and it wasn't from getting clean a lot. I I love so much of my life was changed by getting clean and, and staying clean. Yeah. Absolutely. But throughout my entire, you know, it'll be 18 years in, in October throughout that entire period, I still was trying to buy clothes. I didn't need to impress people yeah. and buy a nicer car than I could afford and trying to live in a neighborhood. I wasn't, you know, that I didn't really want to live in just so that I could tell people I live there. You know what I'm saying? I was still obsessive about things to manipulate my feelings that, that didn't matter. And then, and then I had a kid. Then yeah. that really, that was kind of my Ibogaine where I, I just don't care anymore. I don't care yeah. if you think my car is cool. I don't care if you, well, my you house moved, isn't big enough. I just valley, don't care. You know? Where'd you move? Where you, you, Cause I remember you lived in the same neighborhood as me and that neighborhood was way too expensive for anybody yeah. in Venice. Right. Didn't you live in my neighborhood? You I do. I, li- I live right next to you and, and, and yeah, my yeah, wife like, and I right own that house. Street, I mean, right? we, we don't get me yeah, wrong. I, we had a achieved a certain level of success to the point that we could afford it. But, but that's did, did I do that? Yourself. Did I do that specifically because that was the house that made me feel great? Or did I do that so that I could pat myself on the back? And the answer yeah. was, is I totally did it to pat myself on the back. I still live in Venice, but we sold that house and have lots of money in the bank. And we live in a yeah. house that's totally, totally appropriate for us. And we're fine and we're happy, you know? And what's funny is as you're saying that, I was going through the same thing you're saying. So I was living across the street from you. And I was paying $5,500 in rent to live in a, a thousand square foot, one bedroom, you know, two bedroom house in Venice. It's right. like, what, what am I doing? You know what I mean? I can't afford that. I was getting killed. And so that's why I lived there for a year. And then I was like, man, this is killing me. And I, I got the hell out of there. But like, I was definitely living way above my means. And like, I feel like I've been able that the number one thing that Ibogaine has done for me was allow me to detach from like almost everything. So like anything that I used to be hooked on or worried about, even like relationships, you know, I've had like ex-girlfriends that it still like would come up in my head and be like, oh, why did I screw that up or whatever? It's like, now I just don't think of those things. Like they don't even, things don't cross my mind that I can't achieve or I can't do or I can't get to anymore. Like these, these weird things that used to cause anxiety or cause, you know, depression or anything in my brain, they just weren't coming up anymore. And I think that by being able, like, so Bruce Lee says this in his, uh, the documentary Be Water that was just on ESPN. He said that uh, in, in his mind, like learning martial arts and learning all these things was about detaching. Like, don't, don't attach yourself. If you attach yourself to jujitsu, you're a jujitsu guy. You attach yourself to wrestling, you're a wrestler. What if you're just a fighter and right. you just fight? You know? and, and I look at that 
like myself too, is go like, well, why, why should I attach to, especially in the world of nutrition, right? I love the carnivore diet. I've been doing an all meat diet for like two years, but I am not by any means attached to it. I don't think it's right for you, specifically you. You're, you're shredded. Like, I don't think it's right for you. Like, you don't need it. I need it. You, yeah. Maybe you don't. So like I would, if I would have a conversation with you, I'd find out, well, what do you like to eat? What do you like to do? So there's, you, we were just talking about this before. There's, there's not one way to do anything. There's not one way to get sober. There's not one way, you know, to, to get healthy. There's not one way. There's like so many different routes that we can take. And it's about finding the route that you like. That, right. That you'll right. And, and people, right. I, I think it's, it's beyond health and fitness. I, you know, I, I think that that's a big problem with just like modern society is that people are so, um, they're so insistent on being like demagogues for, for one idea or one way of thinking yeah. or one t- joining a team or, jo- you know what I'm um, saying? Like, you know, whether it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative and I don't, whatever, whatever Nancy Pelosi says is obviously <laughs> so, wrong and what, or, or vice versa, you know, clearly there's so many people that just because Trump is, is so crazy, like anything he says, it, I'm not even going to listen to it, you know, and that, yeah. that's not how we're supposed to go <laughs> live our lives. You know, I've listen, man, I've been down the middle for so long and people go, are you on the left? Or are you on the right? I go, you know, what? I don't even care what that means. Like I, yeah. To, I, I look at every issue as an issue. I don't look at it as like, what would that guy say? You right. know, how'd this guy react? How'd that guy react? Cause that's like, you're not even thinking for yourself. And I always thought that ever since I was a little kid, I was like, why are there two political parties? Like if anything, there should be like 800 of them. There should be zero or, or thousands. Yeah. yeah there exactly. Zero, right? or zero or thousands. Like where everybody, yeah. It's like, cause there's too many combinations of things to vote for and not to vote for. And I, I just, you know, the thing, the way that, that we're doing things obviously like doesn't, isn't working very well, right. you know? So it, maybe it's time to change some of that stuff. I'm, I'm actually glad that, um, that people are talking now and that thing people are speaking up. I think it's getting a little crazy. You can't say sort of anything and that's getting a little crazy, but just the fact of the matter that people are now willing to call things out, I think is going to be a, a good step in our society towards these other things. Like for example, um, there's not anything in this country that kills more people than our opioid epidemic, right? Nothing. And so well, like, well, nope. diet, I would say obesity. Yeah. Maybe diet. It's yeah, up there. Maybe, maybe diet. It's up there. So, but like, those are the things that people, those are the things that like people have on the back burner, mm-hmm. but those are things that we can actually fix fairly easily, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, we have all these laws in agriculture that allow for the abuse of animals. Right. And as a carnivore, I don't want that shit. I don't want, like, I don't really, agree with the practice like so i used to tell people like hey you can get you can get healthy eating at in and out or mcdonald's and i don't tell people that anymore because i don't i don't i do believe that you can get healthy just eating meat and eating at those places but i don't like the way those places do business anymore and i'm not going to support them and so right. i don't i eat you know i eat basically from a single farm in nebraska you know like i have this one farm and they sponsor my brother and i and we work with them and that's it and so I, and I know exactly what is going into my food all the time now, you know? And so I'm thinking more, I'm, I'm putting more thought into it. I'm saying, not just saying, Hey, just eat meat. I'm saying eat meat, but eat meat from a place that produces it. That's going to be good for the environment, not a place that's killing the environment, you know? And that's the interesting thing is that like, no matter what we do, you can't buy one of these that's made in the United States. You know, you can't, you can't buy a cell phone that's made in the United States. You can't. So while a lot of people will criticize me for eating meat, it's like, well, look, you're doing, you know, like anybody that has a cell phone 
is kind of doing the same thing. Like there, it's like, we are just, we're enjoying the perks, you know, without ever facing the consequences or, or thinking of them. Yep. Um, but now with like, with me and some other things, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, what are the consequences of my own actions as a person? Like if I tell people, Hey, it's okay to eat it in and out every day. What's the consequences of that? That might cause a hundred thousand people that follow me to go do that and think that it's completely fine and keep this complacency rolling. And I don't right. want to keep that role. And I want people questioning, you know what? I, I'm actually going to make a movie about the carnivore diet and eating meat and, and how important meat is to our society. But I, a big part of this movie is how do we produce meat more efficiently, produce it better, improve animal welfare. And how do we get one of these major providers like In-N-Out or McDonald's or Wendy's or just one of them to switch over to regenerative agriculture, mm-hmm. which it can now start healing the planet instead of hurting the planet. And those are the kind of things that like, those are the steps that as a filmmaker, I'm looking to make. Like when Morgan Spurlock did supersize me, that did a great service for a lot of things in this country. Like it got people to get rid of their big supersized meals and just got people thinking, eat less. Now, did it have a big effect overall? Probably not a huge effect, but everybody remembers that movie. And at least it gets people talking in the right direction. And if I can just be part of that, then I'm happy. You know, like one of my biggest accomplishments which isn't even like really an accomplishment is the fact that my brother and I literally pestered Joe Rogan so much that he went on the carnivore diet. We like literally texted him until he's like, okay, enough. Like stop fucking texting me. You know what I mean? Like it it got to that point. We're like, come on, dude, just do it. Like hop on, you can do it. You know, you can eat the whole time. And, but like the, so it's not about me. It's the power that he has to get other people to follow what he's doing. And, And the reason isn't because I have a vested interest in people eating meat. I just have a vested interest in people being happy and right. people being healthy. And I know what can come of these things when we get rid of all the other crap. And then like in the real realization of that, you have to look at the other side. Like a lot of people want to slam vegans and slam veganism. I'm not that guy. Right. So here's what I think. I think vegans and carnivores have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. We don't eat shit. We don't eat crappy foods. We don't eat processed foods. We don't eat bad ingredients. You know, we have a certain list of things we eat and we don't eat. They might think meat is bad. I might think vegetables have some toxins in them or whatever. I don't really think vegetables are bad or ever going to kill you or hurt you. And, um, and I understand that. And I think that by coming to an understanding with people rather than this, it's like, how do we farm better? Well, let's ask the people that are offended by it. Let's start there, right? Let's, let's get their input. Now, they, not, they might have a pie-in-the-sky um, vision of what meat production really is or isn't. And we might have to educate them, but that's like, that's how we get things done. You know, that's how we make things. No, you're, you're totally right. And I I think that there's such, there's such a currency in, in division and, and anger and, and, and kind of competition socially with everything with, with I mean, I see people with stakes in their avatar on Twitter and they're literally fighting people on Twitter over, you know, veganism versus carnivore and keto. And I'm like, is why doesn't everyone just work together to make it so that America eats healthier? I mean, honestly, what works for you? Good. If you want to eat meat all day and you, you enjoy that, that's awesome. And if you're a vegan and that works for you, that's awesome. I don't see any reason. I literally don't see any value into making a, a competition out of it. And the same thing goes with like, Look at um, since George Floyd died, pretty much everyone in the country. I can't I've never encountered anyone who wasn't horribly offended and, and disgusted by that. 
But almost immediately, people figured out ways to go, well, if you don't tweet this exact tweet with this black square, then you're doing it wrong. And it's like, wait, no, no, no. Why aren't we working to create one team as opposed to like 11 different ideas? And and then like, honestly, like, you know, when that black square thing came up, yeah, I was confused, you know, and I'm friends with Brendan Schaub too. And I was listening to the podcast. He's doing, he was talking about like, he's like, I'm so confused. Do I do it? Do I not do it? Do I, you know, it's like, you're right. I was confused too. I'm not like, I'm not sure. I'm not in that community. I like, should I, do I put a black square and support? Am I supporting this or am I actually supporting something? Am I supporting riots? Like, yeah, what am yeah, I what's doing? going on? What exactly. am I doing? What am I pushing? You know? And I'm like, I don't know. So you know what today I just won't post anything. And like, in a way that's kind of a pussy move for me to be like, well, I'm not going to give out any other information just cause you're all having this day. But it's a sensitive time right now, you know? And mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't like any of this that's going on. I think it shuts people up and I think it's censorship um, in a lot of ways, you know? And so I, I don't like that. I like people being able to talk and have conversations. I hate people being canceled. You know, it's it, like exactly, you know, all the good things that people have done. And then you're just going to be like eh, canceled, you know? And it's, it's just, you know, really crazy how we cancel one thing and not another. Like, all of a sudden we're canceling Aunt Jemima pancake syrup because we're realizing that that's racist now. And that's crazy because then it's like, well, what are you going to ban uncle Ben too now? Are you going to ban like, and it's like, yeah, actually a lot of this stuff is racist. And then what about the stuff that has like a white guy on it? Are we going to ban that? Because that's obviously racist saying, well, it's a white thing, right? Like it, it, it like a lot of these things are really, really weird. You know, they're, it's getting into like really weird, uh, territory where mm-hmm. we're like banning mascots and and different things and I, I i understand like sort of like why it's happening but it's like really interesting that like you're gonna like uh toppling a statue is gonna like change the way everybody feels or you know and i understand why they're doing that to some of these statues but then other ones are like the, the reasons just don't really make sense well when you're like okay, to me it, to really me it's bizarre. just like things that they look effective are very important but i don't know if it ever it it, anything that prevents us to getting to the root of the real problem i think is is a waste of time and like i was looking at it the other day thinking about it and i was like seriously like just sitting by myself thinking about stuff and i was thinking about like this idea of you know celebrities have to do this and the general public has to do this or else you're not getting to the point and it's like okay Imagine if there was a guy, because there's a big homeless problem, as you very well know, in Venice, yeah. California. So I, I see these people who are struggling and they, they, they have a hard time literally living because yeah. they either they have mental problems or they have uh, addiction, whatever it may be. And I'm like, imagine if there was a guy in our neighborhood who, who couldn't afford or couldn't get his hands on clothing and he was going to freeze to death. So yeah. everyone said, well, th- we can't have that. Let's get him some clothes. And we all got together to get him clothes. And then people started saying, you can't get him any red shirts, okay? It has to be, make sure that it's a yellow shirt or else he is, it's not right. And it has to be a green hat and and blue pants. And it's like, wait a second, just put fucking clothes on him. The guy's going to freeze to death. We got to put, you know what I'm saying? Like the more and more we get uh, obsessive about like the details, it it takes us away from focus on like the actual problem. And that's the, you know, I mean, it's it's ironic that you say that because- in Venice on Abbott Kinney one day, I was driving home from the gym and I saw this guy and he was like running down the street naked and he was trying to hide because he was like completely naked. And I pulled down the alley that he went down because I'm like, this guy, it was freezing out. Like yeah. you said, 
<laughs> I saw a guy running, running naked in Venice and I pulled over and the only clothing I had in my car was like a $65 Lululemon t-shirt and like, and just a pair of like regular shorts. And I just like, here dude. And I just gave it to him. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see him running around like that. You know right. what I mean? And I was so mad because I like literally just bought that shirt, but I'm like, <laughs> you know what, man? Like, honestly, you know what? Like that'll come back to me in some way. Right. I don't know if it ever did, but like, it's just funny that you mentioned, like you see some guy running around Venice naked. I'm like, I've actually seen that. It I've happens. actually helped. <laughs> it yeah. Well, the thing I like about Ibogaine and I, I, I will be the first to admit I've done very kind of cursory investigation into Ibogaine and, and, and read some articles yeah. and things like that. But one thing I do love about it in comparison to other things is that um, it creates that idea of detachment. Whereas other yeah, drugs, drugs, I don't like the idea of replacement where you take one addiction and it's like, yeah, well, I got, I got this guy off of uh, Percocet, but he's, he's on Suboxone for forever. Yeah. Uh, I got this guy off of, um, you know, I got this guy off of, a, you know, test. This 25 year old kid was on using thousand milligrams of test, but he's using SARMs every day. And uh, that, you know what I mean? And yeah, that is using some, yeah. I, yeah. I like the idea of something that makes you understand that you're fine the way you are and deal with what's inside yeah. and detach from the outside stuff. And it does seem like that's kind of at the heart of Ibogaine. In, in a way, I was saying after I did that, I'm like, if there was like one drug that should be legal, like just mm-hmm. one that could actually encompass all these things. So like, listen, this is crazy, right? So I had really bad anxiety and I used to take Xanax and I know what that feels like. It feels like I'm on Xanax every day now, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not on it. I just, I just reset my receptors. I had severe depression. It feels like I'm on antidepressants every day now. I had severe pain. It feels like I'm on opioids every day now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not like I'm high. I'm saying like, I just feel, I feel so good that I'm like, what the hell was I doing before this? And what was my, like, I don't even remember. And, you know, honestly, this is going to sound crazy because people think like, oh, I'm athletic and I can do this and do that. It would take me, I would sit on my couch and I would have pain so bad that I'd be sitting there and it would take me 10 minutes of like in my head, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get up. And then finally I'd have to like use everything in my body and I'd get up off the couch, you know? And like, that's how much pain I was in. And I'm like, I would cry and I would go, why am I... Like, why me? Why am I going through this? What the fuck am I doing? And then like, I'm like, all I want to do is work out. Like, all I want to do is like, go ride the bike for 30 minutes. I can't even do that. Like, cause everything just hurts. I don't, I don't feel like it, you know? And to go from that, like, I guess you call it disease state to being like completely fine in a couple days and telling my eyeball, like my, the, the way that I stumbled across this is really interesting. So I'm friends with a guy named Dr. Tony Huge, who is not a doctor, but he is huge. And Dr. Tony Huge, he has a net, um, two movies, I think, on Netflix or iTunes called Enhanced. And he is like a steroid guru. Like he does, he's tried every SARM, every steroid, every combination of, of everything. And he tells people how to use these things. And so he lives here in Sacramento, actually lives in between Thailand and Sacramento. And everything's shady with this guy, but I love him. He's hilarious and I love him. And there's a lot to learn from him. He's like one of these guys. He's tried everything, including ladyboys in Thailand. And he <laughs> he's tried everything. I was and about so to say, I, as a guy who loves Muay Thai, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I love Muay Thai. If an American tells you I spend half my time here and half my time in Thailand, don't trust that guy. There's something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's, that's Tony Huge. He's one of those guys, right? But you love him because he's like, he's actually so open and funny. And he's actually yeah. an attorney. You know, he was the biggest uh, 
bankruptcy attorney here in Sacramento. So like, he's a really interesting character. Like he drives a Ferrari. You're going like, what is it? Like, what is this dude? You know? And so one day he's in our gym and we're training and we're just rapping. And I, I said, you know, I, if I could figure out a way to get rid of this pain, if I could figure out a way to just get rid of it, like I could get in the shape I want to get into. And he goes, you should talk to my friend, Amin. Amin is a, like a bodybuilding guru. I'm like, what do I need a bodybuilding guru? I'm talking about pain. He goes, no, no, he has this stuff called Ibogaine. I go, hey, I know about Ibogaine. I'm like, but that's not for pain. That's for people with like opioid. He goes, no, I think he said something about pain receptors. It was like literally that, like that little smidgen of knowledge. I'm like, what do you say about pain receptors? He goes, ah, something about resetting them. Let's call them. So he FaceTimes this guy. Never met this guy in my life. This guy comes on the screen. He's like, hey, what's up, Chris? I love your movie. You know, he was a big fan of it and everything. So I was like, oh, cool. We start rapping. He's like, I think I can take away all your pain. Right away, I'm going, okay, Tony Huge, guy from Thailand. Don't trust him. There's no way. Like, what are you guys talking about? Right. So this guy, it all sounded very shystery in the beginning, kind of, because I just didn't believe it, right? And come to find out and realize that, like, Amin is just one of the most compassionate awesome people that I've ever met. And he said, listen, man, I will treat you for free. This stuff, this usually costs about $15,000 to go do this, you know, 10 to $15,000 because it just requires a lot of, a lot of care and, you know, requires somebody to be with you for like three days. So it's just like, and the way that I think the way that they look at it in the the business is like, Hey, look, the actual, the drug itself is really expensive and hard to get. And then on top of that, they look at it as like, if you're going to get better from this one shot deal, like it's probably being some sort of investment as well. You know, um, if you paid $5 for it, you do, do Ibogaine and then, you know, you try to do it again the next, you know, sure. try to do it, reset your receptors, get high again and do it again. Now the problem with Ibogaine, and this should be stated is that like, if you go back to your drug of choice too fast, you could die. And yeah. that there's, there's been like 19 people, that have died on Ibogaine in the past like 20 years. That's not a whole lot. You actually have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than you do of dying from psychedelics. It's, you know, it's, it's on that level. And so, you know, um, to me, that's really interesting when something's like not, you know, if it's not deadly, like what's, what's the problem? The problem is that like, if you were to do like, say you're doing heroin, right. And then you get, you do the Ibogaine, it resets all your receptors. So now the amount of heroin that you were doing will, will kill you, you know, that, that you were doing, you, you do it now. So what's really interesting about Ibogaine, this is the kicker for a lot of people. It potentiates everything you do after it. So if I do steroids now, like if I take testosterone now, it'll work a lot better than it would have before I reset my receptors. If I take opioids right now, they'll work a lot better and I would have to take less. So right. even if it was like used to like manage, like, so, there are people that are in severe, severe pain that take, have to take a ton of opioids. Well, you could actually reset the receptors and then put them on a much lower dose and keep it safer throughout the rest of their life if that's what you needed to do. And, and that's, that would be that's chemically that happens? Or is it, a, is it an emotional yes. thing? Or is it kind of a combo, combo of both? So it, it like, well, I don't, your neuroreceptors really are not mental. They're, they're like a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So if you reset your testosterone receptors, now they're more accepting of the testosterone and able to use it better. Like when you wow. clog up all those receptors and they get used up, then it's like, you know, like people have been taking testosterone for 20 years, they screw everything up and then their body's not producing it and all this stuff. And then you just come off of it for like a month or two 
you do ibogaine, reset everything. So we we have people doing ibogaine treatment for everything from like making steroids work better, which I don't recommend it for that. It's not really the reason. Um, to just sort of getting out of, of like pain. Mm-hmm. So I had a guy, this is really fascinating. I had this guy named Steve who hit me up and he's the first person to hit me up. He said, dude, I have the same problem as you. Um, he's like, I can't work anymore. I'm so depressed. I'm so, I'm in so much pain. Everything hurts. My wife loves me to death, but she can't take it anymore either. She's at her wits end. So I, I showed my wife your movie. She loved it. And he's like, I, I just need to do this, you know? And I said, well, listen, well, we can get you treated, blah, blah, blah. And so I hooked him up with a mean and he went to a means and got treated. And I just, you know, I just stay out of it. I'm not a practitioner. I just, I want to point people in the right direction and let them go have their own experience. So he went to Denver because it's, so I should say it is a schedule one drug. It is highly illegal, but in mm-hmm. Denver and Oakland and Santa Clara, where these things are decriminalized, you can use them. So a mean lives in Denver and he did this, treatment in Denver of this guy, Steve, and I have it on YouTube and Steve basically like got done with this and he like, he can't believe it, you know? And so then we had another guy that saw Steve's video. He sees Steve's video and he goes like, he has cancer. So he's got one of those, uh, you know, tracheotomy, uh, voice, you know, voice box thing. Sure. And his video to me was so sad and compelling. He's like, I got two kids. I can't play with them anymore. And I can't do this. I, I just really need help. And, so I sent him to a meeting. He went, did Ibogaine, right? And he literally just saw the movie. He didn't even talk to me. He just saw the movie. And then he, because I had it on my post, he went to a meeting. And then after they contacted me and said, this guy came from the movie, right? So I didn't even know I helped this guy. And this guy feels amazing now. And now he's playing with his kids, you know? And so like the only thing, the only issue with him now is he's, he's got a tracheotomy that that ibogaine couldn't fix, but it fixed all the other problems that he had. He had severe chronic pain, severe depression, severe anxiety, and just all these things go away. And I'm not here to preach and say that it's going to help everybody. I can't make any money off of it anyway. So I hope people don't think that I'm pushing this for any sort of agenda. There's really zero way I can benefit off of it. Um, I just like things that move the needle. And to and me, you, you like just, you know, and one of the things I've really respected about you from the beginning, even I honestly think even with bigger, stronger, faster is that one of your main goals was that you don't like suffering. You don't like it when yeah. people suffer and you don't want people wasting their money and energy on worthless supplements and pie in the sky ideas and thinking they're going to be Arnold in his prime from but drugs people, and supplements. People do it. People do it all the time. If you look at stuff like CBD, I don't think CBD's ever helped anybody get out of pain. Not right. one but they sell it like crazy everywhere. And everybody's every podcast you listen to is pushing a CBD product. Yep. I just don't think it's effective for, for pain. And when you look and it's a scam, when you look at the studies, the studies are using thousand milligrams. When's the last time you saw any package with a thousand milligrams on it? If you buy like a CBD drink or something that has anywhere from five to 25 grams of CBD in it. So like, that's not going to be effective unless you drink a hundred cans of it. Right. You know, so I look at things like that and go, you know, people just need to know about this. Like, for example, Dr. Paul Saladino is a really good friend of mine, and he calls himself the carnivore MD, and he knows a lot about this carnivore diet, and he's been doing it for quite some time. And he went on the show, The Doctors, and the guy, Travis Stork, Dr. Travis Stork on The Doctors, berated him. It was, said, it was one of the most atrocious uh, practices in media I've seen. In, yeah, and honestly, like I like Paul too. I've met him a couple of times and I, I actually respect his, his, his like theories and ethos. Very smart. Well. Yeah. But on top of that, just as a broadcaster, 
I watched yeah. that clip and I, I was so upset at how, like the unprofessionalism of, so you know, of the guys going crazy. I'm a doctor. You can't just eat meat. And you're like, listen, dude, you're a doctor, but you ain't a very good one. You're a TV dude. You're, you're a, you're a TV star. Like you're barely a doctor. If it's like, so he's not treating patients every day. He's not, he doesn't know what's going on with like people just eating meat. So like if he was doing that, that's a different story. But here's the thing. Then I, I, then you know, as soon as the doctors goes to a commercial, the commercial is Dr. Travis Stork trying to sell us uh, turmeric, right? Right. Like for, for pain relief, right. for pain relief, he's trying to sell turmeric. If you look at the studies of turmeric, it'll say the human body cannot absorb turmeric. Therefore, it is worthless. Curcumin, turmeric, all these things that people say, and you'll hear people raving about it on every podcast and every biohacker and all this stuff. It's complete bullshit. It's 100% bullshit. Your body doesn't absorb it. You don't use it. You can take tons and tons of it. It might taste good or you might like the way that it flavors your coffee, but it's not doing shit for you to cut your inflammation. But a carnivore diet will. And here's this asshole, Travis Stork, promoting this brand of turmeric when he, I mean, he must know it doesn't work, right? He must have read the studies, right? I guarantee he hasn't read any of the stuff that I'm talking about. He hasn't seen it. I, I can guarantee it. You know, and that's, that's the problem. It's like you have people selling out for money, selling you supplements because it's approved by the FDA and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's just, it's just, we have to shut down that kind of noise, you know? And so for me, like you said, I don't like people suffering. I don't like people wasting their money. And I don't like people listening to idiots on TV telling you like what to take when it doesn't do anything. Right. And the, the new one, Ibogaines, is that a G-A-I-N-S? G-A-I-N-Z. Z, so it's Ibogaines. Okay. It's because, you know, people say, I got my gains. The gains I, on, and yeah. so what sure. happened, yeah, and so, like, I got my gains on because, like, what I gained was freedom is the way I look at it. It was, yeah. it was a gaining of my own freedom to where, like, now I can do whatever workout I want. I can do whatever, you know, I can, I, I can live without pain. I can live without depression. I can live without, you know, anxiety and all these things that, it, that were literally, like, crippling me, you know? And... Honestly, like now I feel like I'm in such a good place. And, and honestly, like you were one of the first persons I thought about when I was making the movie. And the reason why I haven't done like a full court press on like contacting people and pushing this really hard is I think I stumbled upon one of the biggest like meta, like, honestly, I, I think this is one of the biggest discoveries in medicine. And I feel like I need to take my time with it. And I feel like I need to get it. Like, I feel like I it's like, yeah, I can send the movie to Dr. Drew, right? But mm -hmm. I, want, I want to sit down with him and talk to him about it. I think it's like that important. It's like we need to get doctors to sort of start looking into this going like, okay, I know. Because like when you bring it to a doctor, the first thing Dr. Drew will say, well, how many other people have done this? How many other people have tried it for pain? Well, like nobody really. It's experimental. And then a doctor usually will say, whoa, I can't do that. But when we find the right doctor who will say, it's experimental, but let's keep pushing this, you know, mm -hmm. and we'll find somebody young, like a Dr. Saladino or like one of these guys coming out of school who's interested in pain management. They'll say, I'm going to get on this and I'm going to research this and I'm going to find out how we can get all these people out of pain. My mom is in severe pain every day, but she won't do ibogaine because there's no scientific proof behind it. There's right. only her son telling her, Hey, I took this drug. I got really high and I feel great. And, and it doesn't, doesn't fit. It doesn't fit it. the story. She probably tells herself she's from a different generation. It's not, yeah. it doesn't come from a doctor in a, in a bottle, you know? And I, I bet, you know, and I've talked to you and your brother about this, uh, about how, like when you first 
A, identified the problems with your, your brother who's deceased. And then B, when you personally dealt with addiction, a lot of the, a lot of the dissonance probably came from the fact that, like you said, you came from a really loving family and you were a guy who worshiped bodybuilders and, and pro wrestlers and action stars, like drugs. That's not for, that's not me. I'm not a punk rocker. You know, I'm not some washout. I like, I like muscles and power and confidence. I'm not a drug guy, you know, and it didn't fit the narrative, you know? Yeah. And to me, rehab was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me. Right. Like having to go to rehab, having to face like the world. And like, you know what though? Like, honestly, everybody was so nice and supportive. I thought everybody was going to be like, ha ha, you're a loser. I knew you were always a loser. Like right. deep down, you were always that guy, right? Like, that's what I thought. Cause that's how I felt inside. Mm-hmm. I would look in the mirror and I would look at myself. My eyes would be bloodshot. My face was this fat. And I would literally, I said this on Joe Rogan, I would look in the mirror and I would just cry. And it was every single day. I'd wake up and I'd look in the mirror. And I would just start crying. And then I'd go walk over to gold's gym and I'd start training but I'd be hung over and I'd feel like shit. And to be able to rise up out of that through just knowing that like a, just a couple people cared and I cared enough about myself mm-hmm. that I could y- utilize the help of, you know, my brother, Mark really helped me. My sister-in-law, Andy really helped me. My mom and dad really helped me. Like when I thought I had to tell my brother, Mark, who was a big power lifter, one of the strongest guys in the world. And I was going to go tell smelly, Hey, look, man, I'm a drug addict. I thought he was going to write me off and forget about me. But instead he like reached down and grabbed me and said, we need to get you back in the gym. Yeah. And to me, like that, that's like the beauty of like what we do, you know, Hey, we need to get you back in the gym. So how do I repay that favor to Mark is Mark got me back in, in the gym. I got in the gym. I started doing the carnivore diet. I started getting all these results. Well, then Mark's like, well, I'm going to do that carnivore diet too. Mark did a bodybuilding show and he stayed in the same shape. He stayed at 5% body fat pretty much an entire year, you know, like anywhere between five and 10% body fat, but that's pretty damn low. Like he's stayed, stayed, I'd say he was, he's been below like 10% probably for like a year. And when you're a big guy that weighs like 240 pounds, that's really, really difficult, but he's been able to do that on a carnivore diet. Now, what I gave him isn't as much as a gift as he gave me. But that's how brothers operate, right? When mm-hmm. you, it's like I, I, it's not like I, I gave him a gift. It was just like those are the things we share. Like he pulled me out of this hole. I did my part and did this diet and spread it to other people. And then he started helping people, you know, out of the hole with their diet and started helping people with nutrition. And really, Mark's, um, I think, because of a lot of the things that I did. Mark's entire business now and his podcast really revolves around nutrition and talking to like some of the top nutritionists in the world and things like that. And I find that fascinating because it sort of came out of like his brother being sick, you know, right. like, Hey, my brother was real sick and fucked up. And like, now he's like, fine. How did he do that? You know, like, what are this? And, and it's like, it's all these little things in between that we do, you know? And also look, and it, it, it reminds people something that's very important. And, and, you know, I lose sight of this all the time that, no matter how important we think our job is, how important we think our social standing is, it's our relationships that really everything grows out of. Everything grows out of our relationships and our ability to grow and maintain those because you you just don't know how your life's going to turn out. But one thing's for sure, like all the positive stuff is going to come out from the the positive relationships that you have with other people and yourself. The, the, The number one thing that I did in my life was went to gold's gym with a with a good loving attitude and wanting to be friends with people that's how i met you 
That's how I met The Rock. You know, that's how we met John Cena. That's how, like, and we know these Peter people. Peter Berg, like, probably. Really, Peter Berg, too. Yeah, Peter Berg. We know people really, really well. Like, they're, they're, and like, I used to work at Gold's Gym. So, like, when you used to come in and I used to work there, you were like on the radio to me, like, you're a celebrity. I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, Psycho Mike, he's awesome. I, I remember I used to see you deadlifting in there. And I'd be like, oh, like, you know, oh, that guy's famous. Like, he's awesome. That's great. You know, and I, I you know, when to me, that was like really cool. And I loved meeting you. And I love I love conversating with you because we share so much in common, yeah. you know, but like you sort of don't get to do that unless you did something yourself. Right. Like, so if I'm just a normal guy and I meet you, you'll probably just forget about it the next day. But like I did a movie that you really like, too. So it's like then we become buddies. I like your work. You like my work. Hey, let's hang out. Let's talk. Hey, you're friends with this guy. You're friends with, this, you know, like, and then I was able to meet through you, Dr. Drew and some other people are like, to me, were just invaluable. Like I was trying to meet Dr. Drew for like 20 years when I was, you know, I was making bigger, stronger, faster and all these things. I'm like, oh, I'd like, you know what I'd like to talk to is like, I like Dr. Drew. I like the way he thinks. Cause he was always like against a lot of the stuff that I was thinking about, but I knew he'd be rational about it, you know, in a lot right. of ways. So it's well, like, interesting. also I I'm, I'm talking to him. I, talked to Dr. Drew like an hour before this podcast, but I'm going yeah. on his podcast on Tuesday and I will mention it on the air too. I will make a point to that. He needs to have you on and to kind of get into, get into the weeds with the yeah. Ibogaine. Yeah. And, and what's awesome too, is like going to somebody like uh, going to like being able to like go to Dr. Drew's house and sit on the couch with him and you and discuss the carnivore diet. And then next thing you know, he's like, well, I pretty much eat meat all the time anyway. So I'm in, you know, and then you guys had Dr. Baker on like through me, which yeah. I just, I love that. Like, I love how it grows like that. You know, Absolutely. I love how it spreads like that. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It's like, Hey, if I can provide you guys with some more uh, people to, to sort of help other people, we just kind of keep it all going. And mm -hmm. to me, like the really interesting thing is that so much of this stuff that we're talking about is like really cheap or free, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like the info, it's just, it's just information like, Hey, go check out this guy, go check out that guy. And just by listening to podcasts, I've, I've like literally when I'm bored or pretty much all day when I have not, when there's like time to fill in, like I'm driving or I'm walking or I'm doing, I'm always listening to a podcast or a book. And that's just how I learn everything. You know, I, right. I have so much sort of like dumb knowledge from podcasts, but I also have so many things that like, I'll hear something on a podcast. It might be like one little line and then I'll like, go down that rabbit hole for a long time and come out with something that nobody's thinking of. And right. that, to me, that's, what's important. It's like, what are we, what are we not thinking of? What are we not looking at? There's enough people looking at the same thing every day. What are we not looking at? Dude, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I, I love this conversation, man. It, it means a lot. And thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. If uh, people want to watch Ibogaines, I-B-O-G-A-I-N-Z, and that's on YouTube. And then it's also on my uh, IGTV and they can follow me at Big Strong Fast if they want. If they have questions about the carnivore diet, questions about ibogaine, questions about fitness in general, they can hit me up about anything. I answer as many questions as I can. If I don't get to it, maybe I'll get to you next time. So just yeah. hit me up for sure. I, I appreciate it, dude. And thank you. Uh, is there anything else you want to pimp out or is that is that the uh, the extent of it? No, I'm, I'm done pimping, man. I think uh, we're all good. Awesome, dude. I'm glad, I'm Love glad you, to see you so healthy and happy and, uh, take care of yourself. And, um, if there's anything, you know, you know, anything else I can do to help push along your, your, your message, uh, you just let me know. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love you, buddy. Have All a right, great man. day. 
All right, all right, all right. Follow Chris Bell on Instagram, Big Strong Fast at Big Strong Fast, and uh, follow me. I do not have enough followers, honestly. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm gonna, I'm very worried about it. My fragile ego can't take it. I need more followers at Mike Catherwood at Mikey Likes You One, the number one at Mikey Likes You One, um, and. As always, in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, I do. Be good, people. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.